my name's Libby Tozer. Welcome to the She Is Seen podcast. We are shining a light in places that we as women often turn away from, exploring everything that being a normal woman is. Lumps, bumps, scars, stories, you name it, that's what this space is all about. I hope you enjoy this. Welcome. Today we're talking to a wonderful woman in her 30s. We're normalising normal by shining a light in places that we often shy away from because we are all perfectly imperfect. So excited. Everyone has a story and today we get to hear from this amazing woman. Thanks so much for coming. No worries. I'm excited. Talk to you. (laughs) Super exciting. So what scares you about your body? It's a fairly heavy one to start with. (laughs) Yeah, it is. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, bam. Sorry. I think what scares me about it is that there's a little bit of unknown about my body and I'm scared that it might pack it in before I'm ready for that to happen. I think that is the scariest thing for me about my body, that it'll give up on me. So I've got a history of bowel disease and um, have had quite a lot of operations and had most of my bowel removed. And so I think because of that surgical history and and some of it being emergent and quite scary, I have this underlying, I guess, trauma history worrying that, that that will happen again and that next time, if there is a next time, they're not going to be able to save me. Wow. So um, tummy aches and runny poos is where the story begins pretty much. <laughs> I've been seeing a lot of the inside of a number of toilets. I have got Crohn's disease had a really long time, maybe five years, I think, of drug therapy, trying to bring it under control with with varying success uh-huh. um, over that time. And then it got to a point where, the, you know, I was on really high doses of corticosteroids, which for anyone who's had steroid therapy, it's pretty crap. You tend to gain weight. When you're having, when you're on steroid therapy, it makes you retain fluid, but you also it just drives up your appetite. And so, okay. a lot of people who have steroids put on quite a bit of weight. And it wasn't so much that, because it happened so slowly, I wasn't necessarily all that aware of it. And it was sort of the least of my problems, really. But my dad made quite a, a point of mentioning it to me every time he saw me. Oh, that, gosh. You know, I was, you know, getting a bit tubby, or whatever, or, you know, oh, you've put on quite a bit of weight, or whatever. And so that. That this is like a side issue to the to, to the gut issue, but I yeah. quite a significant body image problem because I I was like oh my goodness like you know like I, it's just been brought to my attention over and over and over again and I I obviously was then like well I'm there's something wrong with me not only do I have a bowel disease I am also now fat in according to my <laughs> male in my life so thanks dad. He had never processed the fact that he was teased as a child for being overweight. And so he's got quite a weird, like, you know, lens over his own worldview around yep. what weight is and fitness and health and, you know, how you look and all of that kind of stuff. And so yep. he projected that onto me, really. Yeah. Yeah. And spoken about that at length since that actually did in a roundabout way affect my Crohn's prognosis because I stopped taking my medicine because it was making me fat. Wow. And so that may have and probably did contribute to the decline in health 
and the subsequent, you know, requirement for me to end up having surgery. But by the time I was having surgery, like I was really sick, really, really sick. And I, I was, I was just constantly in the toilet. I couldn't eat. I couldn't work. Like I'd resigned from my jobs. You know, I was rapidly losing weight, you know, to the point where I was, the doctors were like, we have to operate now because otherwise you're too high risk because you're so thin. Yeah. So, you know, like that, that's a pretty significant place to be when you're that underweight and malnourished. Yeah. And I had come to a place where I was ready because I was so ill. And so, you know, I was like, I just, I, I'm done. I'm done with every other option and I'm ready now to have an operation. And what that, what that was proposed was a ileostomy bag. So it's like a colostomy bag. It's a poo bag, but not from the colon. It's from the ileum. So that's the small intestine, hence the different word. And I was like, okay, then let's do it. And it was presented to me as a temporary option and that they could then create like a re, they could reconnect it later on down the track. And mm-hmm. I'm like, right. Okay. Let's do it. And so, and so we booked it in and, and like for like a week and a half time. And then three days later, I started vomiting and uncontrollably. And so that, and that was it. I was in the car and on the way down there and they were like, right, we're doing it like today. So that's, that's what happened. I woke up with the bag on me and it's been the best thing that ever happened to me because I have a life now. Yeah. And I have children, which I wouldn't have ever had. You know, and yes, I have a life. Like I live a life. I play sport. I, I work in a role that I just love and have the best life. But even before that, I'm actually alive because yeah. I had complications in that first surgery. And the, the doctor said, he told me afterwards, like, you know, like years later when I, you know, I was back in for another one, he <laughs> told me that he, he, they took me in for another emergency procedure. Like in the, it was in the middle of the night. So basically, forget what happens on the medical shows, but if they can wait until the morning, they will wait until the morning. Like they'll wait until normal business hours to do surgical procedures if they can. Yep. But if they can't, they'll do it in the middle of the night. And that, that was me in the middle of the night. And so he said to me, I took you into theatre and it was a 50-50. Wow. I sort of knew that. But hearing within yourself. Yeah, but hearing it from him, I was like, Well, you know, that's and was, was that the first surgery or that's the subsequent one? So that was the first it was a, a rollover of the first one because I was I was due to be discharged and then I just started getting worse uh, instead of better. And oh, okay. Yeah. I had my bowel had twisted post operatively and and so they had to go back in and fix it. Yeah, so I was in hospital that, like, for 21 days. It was three weeks, yeah, and I was 44 kilos when I came out. That's how much I weighed. Wow. <laughs> and and I couldn't walk. Like, I could walk around the ward, and I was just shattered. Uh, and, and so I had a wheelchair at home, and I had to sit in the shower at home. Like, it, I was pant- like I was puffing like I'd run a half marathon getting to the toilet and back. To the bench. Like it was in t- it, it's so hard to explain how debilitating post surgery is when you're so ill. Yeah. Because you're sick. You're so sick and then you have an operation on top of your sickness. So it's just it takes yeah. a really long time to recover 
from those from those and every other operation that I've had since which has been for various reasons so you know like I my tummy prolapsed when I was pregnant with the kids and so I've had like a prolapse fix and things like that yeah so less invasive and so the recovery although difficult has not been anything like it was the first time yep um, yeah so and then about two years ago the doctors were like, oh, we think you're a great candidate for reconnection and therefore not having a bag anymore, um, except they'd taken out my whole large intestine, barring my rectum pretty much. They left that in to support my uterus because I hadn't had any kids yet. And so I okay. had my, they were like, oh, we think you're a great candidate for reconnection. And I was like, radio, give me some stats here. You know, what's the chances of the disease coming back and me ending up really sick again? Because I don't want to go back there. I like having a bag. I manage it really well. It's not affecting my quality of life, you know, in a negative way. So I'm, I'm only doing this if you're going to give me some good stats. And the surgeon said, well, there's a 40% chance of disease recurrence within 10 years. And I was like, no, nah. I just said, no, I don't want it then. It's too, that Those odds were too crap for me. Yeah. And so then he said, well, we can't leave your rectum in because you'll get bowel cancer oh, in a bit that you're not even using. And I was like, oh, well, we'll, we'll whip that out then. <laughs> and so I chose to have this, this second surgery where they moved my rectum and anus. So I don't have a butthole anymore. I am literally like a Barbie. No, oh my but- gosh. no hole. And that was interesting to recover from. Like, yeah. A weird place to have sutures and you know anything you do you're relying on that area kind of stretching and whatever so yeah a bit tricky but but fine like I was fine so yeah now I have a permanent bag I can never have a reconnection now because I've had that rectum taken out so I will have a ileostomy bag for the rest of my life which is the choice that I made I made that choice and it was it was by far the best choice for me and the right choice for me and I am an advocate for people who have, you know, any condition which is debilitating them, any bowel condition which is making them ill and unable to have a full life and they're scared of having a bag, like I don't want to have a bag, I can't, I can't, can't handle the thought of having to poo in a bag or empty a bag or having a bag of poo on me or, you know, anything like that, I just go, do you know what, it's, it's just changed my life for the better because, yes, I have a bag of poo on me, except I decide when I go to the toilet and empty it. I'm not yeah. running to the toilet hoping poo doesn't come out of my bum and run down my leg. Like yeah. that's not the place I'm in anymore. And so, I, you know, I'm such an advocate for people doing it because it's it changed your life for the better and reducing the stigma of it. Like it's not – I'm not stinky. Like I'm not, you know, like – Yeah. Yeah. And, and if I didn't tell people, they wouldn't know. No. It's not a shopping bag that I'm carrying around. Like it – you know, it, it – it is really hidden and very discreet. And so, yeah, like I think I really am passionate about people understanding that it's not the end of your life. It's the beginning. It has been the beginning for me. It's incredible. Your, your story is really incredible. Yeah. So that's that provides the context for my earlier statement, that that's what scares me the most about my body is that it'll yeah. pack it in because that'll suck if I'm not ready for that. <laughs> yes, that would suck. And and it's totally valid. I can, well, I can't even imagine, but I'm definitely hearing what you're saying. Yeah. Tell me about your experience with hormones 
how they affect you and what you've learned from that journey? So hormones are, are a, like a double-edged sword. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that sometimes I love them and, and they do good things. And other times I hate them because they turn me into a raging lunatic. <laughs> and I think I know that at the time, but I still find it really hard to to step out away and to step outside of that. Like I can look at myself and go, what are you doing? But then I still can't seem to stop the freight train from rolling on. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess I value them in a way because I wouldn't have my children if if it weren't for hormones and I wouldn't you know I wouldn't be me but yeah they they certainly have affected me as I've got older they've got more they've had more of an impact I think um so I'm in my yeah I'm in my mid-30s and I think that following the births of my two children my hormones have done different things and certainly I feel like they are more obvious now than well, they make their presence more known now <laughs> than what they did when I was younger. So have you learnt things that could help other people, like learnt ways to manage the fluctuations from them in your body that could help other people? Do you know? Yeah, yeah I think that, I mean, there's self-awareness. And as I said before, that at times only goes so far. <laughs> but being aware and then making the other people around you aware. So, I mean, you don't have to wear a T-shirt that's like, yo, everybody, I've got BMS right now. But um, That would be more, kind of awesome, though. Yeah, kind of awesome, like a, you know, red flag, don't come <laughs> I think, you know, like I, I say to my husband, like, you know, I, I'm really struggling, like I've, you know, really hormonal or whatever and he usually goes yeah I noticed (laughs) (laughs) but so but it's all well and good to tell I don't know especially men like they might go yeah I noticed but to be able to equip them to perhaps be a bit more gentle and understanding through that time and to also teach him that about the best way to support me through that and that's different for everybody in terms of how they best feel like calm and loved and and whatever and I think the other thing is as well is to really find out what affects you the most in terms of what you put some people what they put into their body really affects the way that their hormones uh appear and so I found that I I sort of be a bit more careful about what I'm eating and and stuff through like those hormonal peaks because that tends to make it better or worse yeah that's really true I think as well just dropping back on anything that's heavily processed and I have found that that has significantly impacted like the amount of pain I was getting abdominal pain and like sore boobs and stuff like that that's really dropped off oh wow having been more aware to eat yeah some more naturally produced things without like preservatives and like all of that kind of stuff in it so yeah 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 oh that's a heaps good tip. If you could give your teenage self one bit of advice to support her, what would it be? That high school finishes and the drama, the social drama, it's not the same as it is in high school when you're an adult. It's not as intense 
And so being true to yourself, which is really hard to do, like just keep doing that because eventually you'll leave high school and you won't have to be surrounded by people that that don't understand you so much or you'll be able to choose more of the people who you spend more of your time with and, and they will be people who will value you for who you are. So you don't need to try to be somebody to fit yeah. in the high school crowd. Yeah. And it's a bit cliche because, you know, that's, you know, as people say that, and I remember feeling in high school like this is never going to end and, you know, some of the days were the worst days of my life. But it does change. And I guess the flip of that is that I do look back and go, man, they were carefree days. <laughs> you know, I, I thought it was really hard, but it was rad. Like if I look back at it in, on a whole, and I know that's not everyone's experience, but I go far out, like it was heaps of fun. Like I did have a lot of fun. And there, and even uni days, like as a teenager, like they were good days. And I had no money and I was a super povo and and whatever but it was they were fun it was fun times and every every now and then I have a memory like of something funny and that we did or that happened and I, I just start laughing like you know it's one of those awkward times when you're thinking about and no one knows that that's what you're thinking about you just start laughing like. <laughs> so yeah I think to really value that time for for young women and, and men but young women like try to find and and understand that they, they are they are the good old days in a way, which makes yeah. us 85. But <laughs> and the crappy bits will fade, but you'll you'll remember the good bits. Are there things you wish you'd never said or maybe said differently? Oh yeah, there are lots of things that I've said which I really regret. As a young person, I was cruel sometimes to peers, and I regret being cruel. I have you know been quick to judge somebody else's position when it's not mine. And lacking understanding of, you know, not knowing the backstory and just having a surfacey judgment. I have really worked hard probably in the last 10 years to become so much more self-aware about, about how sometimes the ability to really call a spade a spade is great, but other times gently and sensitively is better. <laughs> and I have to say, Libby, that like, I have really damaged relationships with other people in the past. You know, I can think of a few like key relationships that that I still think about and feel, you know, like what a major error I made and and I really have hurt people and been hurt by people. Yeah. Um, and and I do really regret that. Um so yeah, it's it's hard. Like it, it is a really hard thing to feel like you've really hurt people and that that you can't mend that bridge. You know, processing that is tricky. Yeah, definitely makes me think of the high school stuff as well. And even we, like as women, are quite often the ones that are doing the damage to each other. And we, yeah, there's this big thing that we try that the you know we want to heal on some level, but on another level, we're the ones that create it at different times in our lives and we learn and get better at not doing it and I guess it's all a journey for all of us figuring out what we're doing and how our behavior affects other people and yeah yeah all that sort of thing and it feels a bit like a minefield sometimes it feels like you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't like you're damned if you say something but then you're damned if you don't because yeah you know there's a risk of well why did you say that but then there's also the risk of why didn't you tell me or something and so you know it's it's really navigating and knowing yourself and and knowing 
the other people and how to best communicate with with them because there's self-awareness only goes so far you need to be able to know others as well yeah yep definitely how did you get through the toughest time in your life well I would say that in my life so far the toughest time has been every time I've been really really ill Mm -hmm. uh, or and had to recover from some sort of major operation and yes it was physically tough because obviously, like, that's pretty obvious. I don't, I think that's self-explanatory. Yep. But emotionally hard as well because it was out of my control. And I, I'm not necessarily a person who needs to, who feels the need to control and control and control everything. But when you literally have no hand in what is going to happen next and you're completely at the mercy of your body, or the doctors and their decision-making or whatever, it, that is quite scary. And, yeah. And I, the only way that I got through it was to just – I lent on people. Like I really lent on my mum and my husband for the, for the time since he's been sort of on the scene, and, and I, I just lent on them and I asked for help. And I think that's something that we're not very good at often – and I don't know whether that's, you know, an Australian thing or a female thing or whatever, but, you know, often people say, oh, let me know, let me know if I can do anything, let me know what I can do. And we go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you don't because you, we don't yeah. want to put anyone out or we don't want to ask for help or, you know, we don't want to feel like we're a burden. And so I really learned that sometimes you have to put that aside and ask for help and take yep. it and take the help that is offered. And And so that's what I – have done in the past you know I've accepted people's offer of cooking meals for my family and there was a roster and you know like all of those sorts of things I think that you have to be willing to swallow your pride a little bit and off and accept the help that is offered because it comes from a place of goodwill and love so you know we should we should take that yeah and, and I think to go back to your original question about like what are you most worried about with your body I think if you add up all of the general anesthetics that I've <laughs> I've and the num- amount of drug therapy, especially pain relief therapy that I have had, mm-hmm. that's why I worry <laughs> because I think how much can your body cope with? Like how much chemical can your body handle? Yeah. Because every single time it's got harder and harder to, to recover yep. from that, like headaches and head spins and, and all of that kind of stuff, which has gone on for weeks. Yeah. So I think that it's more that, like I think – is my life expectancy shorter than what it would have been if I, you know, because of all these operations? But then I go, well, without them, I'd be dead anyway. So, you know, your numbers up, your numbers up, like, you know. You, oh, you, totally. Yeah. And you're, you're, so, you're so fit and healthy anyway. You're, you're just incredible, really. So what is it that inspires you and moves you to do good things? Because I want to leave a legacy of positivity and I want, and not everybody will feel this way about me because I'm certainly not everyone's cup of tea, but (laughs) I want people to think of me. Uh, When they think about me, I want people to be happy. I want them to think happy things. Yep. And, And think, I love that thing that Sarah did. Like, you know, it's made such a difference in in our you know little world of life or whatever so yeah 
not I don't do things because I want to be liked. It's not about that. It's about that I want it to have a positive impact on on somebody else. Yeah, and I think that if I'm the best me that I can be, then that surely has to be have a positive effect on all of the people around me. That's the kind of legacy I want to leave. Like yeah. I don't want to be famous, but I want to have had a positive impact on people and left them with, you know, with something to go on with and good memories. What do you love about your body? You've... I love that it's tougher than I thought it was. Yeah. And I love that it changes. I think that, the you know, m- media and popular opinion and Hollywood and women versus women makes us afraid of the changes and yep. we don't want to change. You know, you want to have, like, you know, you see images of these felt young women and I think, oh, my gosh, like, wow, that's, you know, it's a work of art. Yeah. <laughs> Hang on a minute. <laughs> so am I. Like, because yeah. Done things and done things. It's carried babies and been poked and prodded and, you know, like, and it's changed and it's grown and it's been strong and capable and broken but strong again. And I, I think that it's amazing and I love that. I love all of that about my body. I love its capability. Yeah. <laughs> Who has been your biggest inspiration and why? My mum. Mm-hmm. She's tough, hey. Like, and and I think for some people who don't know her, she they think she's hard. Right. But I I don't think she's hard. I can see how that would be that would be your impression, but I know she's soft. Yeah. Warm, but she's strong, and and she's had a, like a life, you know, to listen. As I've got older, and and as we've our relationships changed, you know, and where we've got closer, and I've learned more about what her life was like growing up, and. Um, some of the, you know, really traumatic things that she has endured. And I think, man, like, you know, if, if I can be, you know, in my late 60s and be cracking on like you, well, power to me. Like, yeah. I just think she's incredible and has endured a lot. You know, she was like, oh, I remember when you were 15 and you used to complain of a tummy ache and I sort of, you know, brushed you off because life's busy and, and that's what happens. And mm-hmm listened and she really carried a lot of blame and and I was like mom I'm not I don't blame you at all and you know so we had to work through that and she was terrified like you know and it's there is a lot of trauma for her and every time if I ever go oh I'm not feeling very well like she just freaks out yeah so and I only understand it since being a mum yep I only understand the sheer terror of losing a child since being a mum. Yeah. What is one thing you're proud of and would like to be remembered for? Like at the moment, I would say, oh, I'm really proud of the fact that I haven't been a dying swan about, you know, all the health stuff I've had. And I've pushed on and I've been such an advocate for, you know, making big choices and doing what's right for your body, being proud of your body. Like I think that I'm really proud of that and I want to be remembered for that. But, yeah, but there's there's some lofty goals for me around my work and and stuff that I haven't – that I'm not there yet. Yeah. So, but I want to be proud of them when when they come. 
Yes. Yeah. That kind of feeds in nicely to the last question, which is if you could dream your life into being, what would you create and what's your greatest hope and dream? I think that so I I'm like, okay, I'm in education and I'm going right. I I see so many problems with the way we approach education in a conventional way here. Mm-hmm. And so I, you know, I really want to be a part of changing that and and challenging, you know, why we're doing what we're doing and 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 you know, really yeah, being a part of that. That that's that's what I want to see. I want to see a change in the way we do that. However, here's the flip. I don't want to be engaged in that process at the expense of my relationships and time with my family and the people mm-hmm. who I And so I don't know what that looks like. I want to do that, but I want also want to be able to be with my family. But I suppose that's what I want. Like that's my perfect thing is to be able to influence change and and see change happen and really good things happen and 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 lives changed because of it. But I also don't want to lose my own life. At its yeah. Time. Yeah. And I don't know how you do that. There has to be a way because yeah. the is not the way. So you know, and maybe this is like a Corona epiphany. I saw how that works. <laughs> dictionary did you see that like urban no that's awesome because it's actually a thing so you know like I feel like I've learned so much about how I actually really do love being just with my family not Mm. with my family where we're going to another thing or yeah my family while we're all getting ready in the morning like headless chooks like that's time with family that's just time existing under the same roof so yeah, I, I, that is, has become really key to me to the point of me going, well, maybe I could put aside these lofty goals because being with my family and the people who I love, perhaps that's more important. Yeah, I can completely relate to that. And the same, yeah, it's been like a real inward, yeah, realization. And this is special. And it says, I know you hear people with older kids, our kids are the similar age, but you hear people with older kids go, oh, it's so fast and it's so quick. And then it's, they're, you yeah, haven't got them with you anymore. And I I think I'm kind of having this like, oh my gosh, that's what's, <laughs> that's what's happening. And yeah, yeah, it's so precious. You do want to spend time with these kids that are turning into amazing little people with their own personalities. And mm. yeah. I yeah. think I've had a similar awakening at the, what is it called? A Corona Epiphany. Yeah, Corona Epiphany. <laughs> I think that's a great word. Oh, that's and fantastic. Nearly everyone who I speak to is having a similar experience. Yeah. Because I used to want to do all the things. So saying no and and scheduling things in, not trying to jam them all into one day, but spreading things out is is a real it is an epiphany. It is a great. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much for talking to us, and I really appreciate it. And your your story is amazing, and I think lots of people will really take a lot from hearing you speak. So, Can I add thank you. Something I yeah. want to go. Really go question. ahead. Sometimes there might be people who identify with me in terms of they might listen to me and go, "Oh, I." I feel like not necessarily that they might have been through what, what I've been through, but she sounds like me. She sounds like my kind of person, right? 
Yeah. And often people see me and don't really know me all that well, but they might go, you know, she's so on top of everything and she knows heaps of people and she's got loads of relationships and, you know, I'm sure she's too busy. I'm sure she's too busy for me or I'm sure she doesn't need another person. But I feel like for those people, everyone will have people who can they can picture who is that type of person. They'll think, yeah. oh, you know, that person's like, you know, they've got it all. Like, because you can give off that, you can say, it can look like that. Yeah. But we don't. Yeah. It can be, like, I don't have a core little group of really good mates or you know I I don't have that and I really envy people who have got that but I think lots of people would be like oh but you've got heaps of friends (laughs) because I do I have lots of people in my life who I know but not that really core tight thing and so sometimes if you know you're thinking of a person like me who sounds a bit like me just make make an effort because we're sometimes a bit lonely yeah by people yeah I think I think it's okay. I think that's a case for a lot of women in general. I think we we live quite secluded, in a sense, quite secluded lifestyles, and we don't. I don't know. Somehow we've lost the ability to make form solid, tight friendships and keep them. And I know I know for me, when I became a single mum was when when I went out and got built more friendships but it was kind of out of necessity for my own sanity it was and I think if that hadn't happened they wouldn't exist like it's a yeah and and it's definitely part of the the movement like the positive that comes from it is connections think of other ways to form nice connections with Mm. women it's really important but it's definitely really tricky I I don't think you're alone at all in that no no and I don't I don't know really what the answer is because the answer is quality time. And yeah. so it's that conversation of, well, where do I put my quality time? And and I suppose that's part of the reason why I don't want to fill up my life with a whole heap of stuff like jobs and yes. activities because, yes, it, they're fun or whatever, but are they filling up my quality time bucket? Yeah. And I think that's the risk of all of us being so busy doing the things that we're not at, no one's really getting any of that quality time. Or if we do tiny snatches or it's like, you know, a girl's weekend once a year or something. And that's not, yeah. 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 Um, It's, it's hard. And, and it's hard too to, as an adult, like you said, to build, like to sort of know how to be, make friends. Like, you know, how do you, you know, because when you're at school, we're with the same people for seven hours a day. Yeah. And so that's how you make friends because you're spending heaps of time together. Yep. But once you're not there anymore, and that's why people are like, oh, I'm, yeah, I'm mates with all my workmates or whatever, and then they get a different job and then they're not friends with them anymore. So yeah. how do you develop and find the people who, irrespective of the work that you're doing, they are your people? Like, and yeah. yeah hard like what a difficult conversation I'm so interested to have conversations with people who've succeeded like yeah know what this how like what did you do yeah makes you really think doesn't it it's like a it needs to be quite intentional almost like the yeah because we're all so different and we all but everybody has different things to offer in a in in a friendship dynamic even like it's yeah yeah yeah. it has to be intentional 
but then you're putting yourself out there, aren't you? Like, yeah, I'm yeah. Still, I've decided I'm choosing you to be my. Yeah. And then what if the other person's like, well, <laughs> pass. Like, <laughs> no, like there is a bit of because like, you think, what if I love you more than you love me? <laughs> That's a can of worms, that one. I kind of yeah. like it, though. It's, ma- it's making me think. Thank you so much for talking today, and I really appreciate all your wisdom and everything you've shared. Oh, thank Rid. you for having me. Thank you so much for listening to the She Is Seen podcast today. If you're not already, find us on Facebook and Instagram at She Is Seen Movement so that you can join a photo shoot. Grab yourself a copy of Through Her Eyes if you don't already have one and the calendar if it's the right time of year. Thank you so much for listening. Have a wonderful day and talk to you next week.